Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Hello, and welcome to today's show. A couple of announcements before we get started. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review for the show. You can do that in iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere you listen to podcasts. It really helps me get the word out and keep this project running, so I'd really appreciate it. I also wanted to mention my memoir, which you can get anywhere books are sold. I wrote it because I really wanted to share my journey and my struggles so that other women wouldn't feel alone. I go into great depth about how I dealt with the emotional ups and downs and making the choice, letting go of the fairy tale of what I wanted and how I moved forward and how I used all the difficult parts to really teach me how to be an amazing mother. So I hope you'll get your copy and let me know what you think. And finally, stick around at the end of the show, please. I have lots of announcements about Tribe. I want to give you a really detailed picture of what's involved and give you the coupon code so you can sign up before the price goes up. Now let's get started. Hello, today I'm joined by Alex and she's here to talk to us about the adoption of her daughter. I'm really looking forward to chatting with her. Hi, Alex. Hi, happy to be here. Great. Thanks for joining me. So to start off with, can you tell me a little bit about what you thought might happen or what your vision for your life was when you were a little kid and a younger adult? Yeah, I have to say that I was not one of those girls planning my wedding, you know, marrying off Barbies. Actually, my mom says that my sister and I were switching the heads of Barbie and Ken because we thought that was very funny. So (laughs) I was not planning wedding and thinking about babies. I think I just assumed I'd meet a guy at the right time, we'd get married and have kids. That was just sort of a back of my mind assumption, but it wasn't a very detailed fantasy. That, however, did not happen. Yes. <laughs> did not find the guy, at least not yet. Right. So tell us a little bit about how your life did pan out and your path to motherhood. So I was trying to meet the guy, I was in my 30s. And starting to feel like I was really ready to build a life, but hadn't found a guy. And I had the moment where I thought, well, I don't want to get married just to get married. I want to be married to someone that I want to be with. And if that person isn't here right now, then that person isn't here right now. So I knew I'd always wanted to be a mom and started doing the math going, okay, how old will I be when this kid graduates high school? Like, I don't want to be 80. So I got to get this show on the road. (laughs) The other piece of that is that I'd always been interested in an adoption. I think if I had found my partner, I would have wanted a biological child with the both of us. But adoptions always made a lot of sense to me. There are children who need moms. I'm a mom who is looking to be a mom to a child. And so I immediately jumped into adoption in terms of figuring out how to become a mom on my own. Awesome. So I think there's definitely an assumption, at least that I've heard amongst single moms, that it's really hard to adopt as a single mom. So can you give us your impression? And if there is any difficulty, how you dealt with that? Yeah, it's a really good point. And fortunately, I didn't think a whole lot about that when I dove into the process. I didn't think this isn't going to work. I thought, of course, this is going to (laughs) work. But then I went on my educational journey. The first step was not very heartening. I went to an adoption agency sort of 101 introductory session and afterwards very nervously asked them about adopting as a single mom and their reaction was, oh, we've never had one of those, (laughs) which made me feel really sad and dejected. And I sort of went underground thinking, I'm crazy. This is crazy. And then I pulled myself back up several months later and went to another agency with my sister, because I it was helpful to have someone there with me, and she's my best friend. And this agency just approached the whole thing differently. They just, they talked about what it was like to sort of lose your biological family and gain this new family, that that 
difficult, but also, you know, lovely. And they also changed their pronouns to start talking about singular Mm. because I was in the room. I felt just the total opposite of experience. Mm. And they really talked about adoption as, I don't know if natural is the right word, but talked about it as there are a continuum of emotions that go along with adoption. And so I just really felt welcome there. And I thought, I can do this, even though I'm a, a single mom. The next piece of it to me is sort of the logistics of it, right? Is like, okay, who's, who's going to pick me? I, I think in one of the previous podcasts, we talked about how the adoption process works and then birth parents choose who they're going to give their baby to. That's how they do it nowadays. Could you tell us a little bit about how the process of adopting was? And I know that there's agencies and attorneys, and we talked to one of our previous guests about a lot of those details. Can you tell us how you approached it and what ended up happening for your process? Sure. So I started at an agency because that's just sort of is the obvious place to start. I went to some introductory sessions. And so those sort of tell you what the process is going to be like. That said, agencies are very different. So I had the one experience with an agency who didn't really know what to do with me, and then an experience where it felt very open and and very fluid that, that sort of the adoption process was going to fit a lot of different people, including single moms. So that sort of really helps to get you to just dip your toe in the water and understand the process and the steps, but also, you know, what it means to adopt. So that's where I started. And then I signed up with an agency. And so you create a a book about yourself. You create a book that says, this is who I am and why I'd make a lovely mom. And these are pictures of my family and my friends. And these books are given to the agency and then birth mothers and birth fathers, typically more birth mothers who are looking to give their children up when they're born, look at these books decide, maybe just decide outright who they want to give their babies to or who they want to meet. So when I went to the agency, I gave them my book and then I waited. And then I, you know, fretted and thought, who's going to pick me? Who's going to, there's probably a single mom sitting there going, why would I give my kid to a single mom? So I definitely had those thoughts, but I also knew that I could provide a loving home for a baby. So it's just, it's got to work, but it might be a little bit more effort for me than for a couple. So I started talking to as many people as I could. I, I somehow found other single moms who had adopted and talked to one who said I should try talking to attorneys who both find birth mothers and help connect them to people who want to adopt. So I started talking to private attorneys. Some of them, some of them were not a fit. I emailed one attorney and his response to me was, do you want a black baby, a white baby, or a black and white baby? And I, I just... <laughs> I thought that was so, I don't know, it just offended me to my core, even though these are some of the tough things you have to think about. It just obviously wasn't a fit. And so I talked to, I heard about another attorney, but I was counseled against going with her because she hadn't done a great job making sure that these adoption matches fit. And then I finally talked to David Radis, who I highly recommend in Los Angeles, California, who's been doing this for decades. And when I talked to him, he was obviously interviewing me at the same time. He took a really thoughtful approach and he was in it to actually match people and have that match stick. And throughout the process, he really was paying attention to whether the birth mother was really truly interested in giving up her baby or wasn't sure and was also so was protecting me and also making sure that that both of us had a good experience. So I ultimately signed up with him and seven months later, I had a baby in my arms. Wow. And the rest is history. Wow. So can you tell us some more about, I guess, how that process went with the birth parents? And do you need to be in the same state as your adoption attorney or no? No, I am in Chicago. So I'm in Illinois and he's in California, as I said. Mm -hmm. Each state has different laws around adoption and what expenses that you're legally allowed to cover and how they operate. They're, they're, it's that state by state. 
And California has, it allows for covering a lot of the expenses of a birth mother, but it also, I think, is a, is a good place to adopt because it promotes it. So it helps you take care of the birth mother. It costs you more, but it also you know, helps them be taken care of. And my understanding is also the law out there. It encourages that the the adoptions take place when they should take place. Mm. So no, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be in the same state in order to go through with it. Okay. But he, as a California attorney, is finding birth mothers in California. Is that correct? So he's finding birth mothers everywhere. Okay. I do not know how. I have no (laughs) idea how that process works. But I will say in my experience with him, even though he technically represented me, it really felt like he represented the birth mother, which ultimately I think is really the right way for it to work because the birth mother is the one who is making this enormous gift, who's who's going mm-hmm. through, we're both going through a difficult process, but mine was ultimately you know, loving and uplifting. And I was so excited about it. And hers was just a much more difficult journey. Mm -hmm. And so that also made me really trust him that he was in it for the right reasons and to bring families together. Nice. So can you tell us a little bit more about were there some obstacles around being a single mom trying to adopt or you feel like he listened to you enough and helped sort of paint the right picture and attract the right birth mom? Or how did that process pan out? Well, there were certainly parts of it being a single woman that were harder than if I weren't. But working with him was not one of them. Part of my profile, if you will, was obviously that I was a single woman. And so on his side, he would find birth mothers and then talk to the birth mothers about his clients. So then the birth mother would talk to a number of his clients and choose one of them to give her baby to. The difference between him and the agency is that he had X number of clients and then, you know, Y number of birth mothers. So he didn't have hundreds of clients. He had a smaller number. So the odds sort of match together better than in an agency where you've got, let's say, 100 adoptive parents, waiting adoptive parents, and 10 birth mothers at any given time. So that's why when you are in an agency, a lot of times the wait can be longer because the odds just aren't good enough. So when you work with him, he sort of has your quote unquote profile. And then when birth mothers come in, if the birth mother is interested in a single mom and whatever my profile is, then I get on the list. Interestingly, my daughter Zoe's birth mom chose me because I was a single mom. She had had bad experiences with men as I'm sure many women have. Mm-hmm. And she felt better about that. So in that sense, it actually ended up being a plus, which I was surprised about because she talked to two other two-parent families and chose me. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. Did you ever have a decision point between doing like a domestic and an international adoption? Yeah, it's a good question because my first thought was, I'm going to adopt internationally. Just That was another one of those I think sort of myths out there that obviously international adoption is easier and the first thing to do. Well, in my research, it looked a whole lot harder and a whole lot more expensive. So I looked first at Guatemala. I don't know if that's changed, but their program was closed because they had been adopting out so many children. There were accusations that they had not all been children that were actually surrendered. Mm -hmm. So that program stopped. And then there was another program, I think in Asia, I'm not sure, that also was either curtailed or stopped because of accusations of impropriety. So those were two issues. And then I looked country by country, and countries do have a lot more rules, A, about whether you're single and that they won't adopt out to single people or that you're the last on the list, and B, that they try to adopt within their own country. I think Mexico is one of those countries. And so by the time a child would be available for adoption to a single woman, they're practically not a child anymore. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, that's interesting because I really thought international was going to make a lot of sense, but it didn't after I sort of delved into all those issues. And so I went the domestic route. Interesting. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. And so you also mentioned at least the first agency, you know, talked to you a lot about the emotional aspect of it. 
it. And I know you had sort of come to the table already sort of being pretty gung-ho about adoption and knowing that that was important to you and something you always wanted to do. But could you talk about what it was like for you emotionally? What kind of things came up during the process that maybe surprised you or that were difficult? Sure. I mean, I, like many people, when I went to the very first introductory session and they said unceremoniously, all adoptions are open. That means all adoptions include continuing contact with the biological parents. And I thought, oh my God, Mm. what does that mean? That the baby's going to, you know, want to go back to her biological mom that she, you know, anytime she wants to leave, she will. And who's going to be the mom? I mean, I had all those thoughts, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people who have not experienced adoption or maybe parenthood feel like, wait a minute, who's going to be the mom? Mm -hmm. So definitely felt that initially, this fear and this idea that like, that's not, how is that going to work? Then I went to the next agency's introductory session, and they talked about it in less stark terms. They talked about, what if you had a biological relative you didn't know? Would you want to meet that person? Would you want to maybe have coffee with them, see if you look like them? And I thought, yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. So the next steps to that being just because you you have a biological relative doesn't mean that relative automatically has some greater connection or relationship to you. Think of people who've never met their fathers. Do they feel like that biological connection is greater than the stepfather who raised them their whole lives? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who've been through that realize that the connection you make by being with someone day in and day out is really what makes the relationship. That's not to say a biological connection isn't important and critical and can be important, but it's not the same. So I think for a lot of us who have parented, whether biological or adoptive, you feel that the relationship that you're creating as you hold your baby in the middle of the night, as you clean up their vomit, as you cry with them when their friends don't want to play with them, as you take them to the hospital for an emergency, that that is really what's forming the foundation of your relationship, not necessarily the biology that you're connected to, which then led me to say, oh, especially as my daughter's gotten older, I have no fear of her relationship with her biological mother because we have a relationship that's strong, that's very strong. Mm -hmm. So if she wants to meet her biological mother, which she already has, sure, of course she does. That's part of her identity. And whatever relationship she wants to have with her, I support that. And I now have just no fear that that makes me less of her mother. Mm. I'm just very clearly her mother. It's just not confusing at all. But certainly when I heard that the first time that they must be open and there will be a relationship, I thought, oh, how is that going to work? But now it makes sense to me. I just, I'm the one who's packing her lunch every morning. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the one tucking her to bed every night. So I don't, I don't fear that she's someday going to say, you're not my real mom. Or <laughs> she may say it to be mean, but didn't mean it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love to hear that. And I'd love to hear more about what the relationship with the biological mother has been and how you've navigated that. Sure. That was also tricky at the beginning because I think as you develop into a mother, you know, at the beginning, you're still figuring it out and you're figuring out what your relationship is with your baby in that, you know, first I've got to figure out how to get my baby to bed and change her diapers and keep her fed and all that. So in the beginning, while I was open and I was sending photos to her birth mom, I was more hesitant than I am now because I needed to sort of find my way and my role as, as a mother. But I sent her photos every six months and updates. I didn't always hear back, but I continued to send them. I also sent Christmas cards to her birth mother's mother because I had her address. And so I just wanted to keep connected to them to sort of to keep that door open more for my daughter than anyone else because as she grows up, I want her to have those doors open if she wants them open. And that will be up to her. She's now six years old. So at the moment, she doesn't have a lot of interest, but it's there. And 
what was also important to me over time is to talk to her about it because I don't want her to feel shame. I don't want her to feel any shame over the beginning of her life, over her biological connections, over her adoptive connections. I want it to be fluid and I want her to make of all that what she wants to make of it, which may be nothing. I mean, she always says, I, you're my mommy. I don't, I don't need a daddy and you're my mommy and that's it. So, you know, that can evolve over time. But for now, I just really want to keep those doors open. So over the years, we've had some more contact. We have a Facebook group. So we have a secret Facebook group and birth mom is in there, her sister, her uh, mother, my mom, my stir, my brother-in-law. So we sort of have a, a group of us in there and we share photos and updates and stay connected that way. Birth mom also has an older daughter who now lives with her. She's about 13 years old. And so that was another piece of staying connected because that's my daughter's biological half-sister. Mm-hmm. So how that relationship will evolve and what it will mean to her over time, I don't know. At the moment, they live in California. We live here. So there's no, we don't, there's no way to see each other often. But again, I, I want to keep that door open. And in addition to that, birth mom, I'll call her Nora, Nora had a baby after Zoe. So she has a biological half-brother who was adopted by parents who live in Ireland. So she has a biological half-brother who's Irish. So we've got a whole big group and they're all, we all share information in this Facebook group and just sort of stay connected. We send each other Christmas presents and just updates about Nora just posted the other day about her daughter's straight A uh, report card and we all cheer her on. So it feels like it's a version of creating a a mock day family, which is, you know, to me, it's it's great. It's just, it feels natural. And I'm hoping that my daughter will grow up feeling it's natural. Mm -hmm. And have you met any of them in person or for now, it's just the Facebook contact? We have. So about two years ago, Nora reached out and said that she wanted to see Zoe and that her daughter wanted to meet Zoe. At the time, Zoe was about four years old and they live in California friends in California. So I planned a trip to go visit my friends and schedule a time to meet up with Nora and her daughter and Nora's sister. So we met in Santa Cruz and spent the day on the boardwalk playing and and going on the rides. And it was really interesting. So it was sort of overwhelming to see Nora because I hadn't seen her since Zoe had been born. And it was really nice. I was so happy to see her and so happy Mm -hmm. to see her doing well and meet her sister who I exchanged some messages with but never met in person and certainly meet her daughter. And so I was talking to Zoe about it before we met up with them. And she said, I don't remember meeting Nora's sister and daughter, but I remember meeting Nora because I was inside of her. Oh, wow. I thought that was lovely. So Mm -hmm. we went up and and met them. And the whole afternoon, Zoe kept asking Nora to go on the rides with her. I want to go with Nora. I want to go with Nora in a really sweet way. And at one point there was there was sort of a, a swing ride that went above the top of the boardwalk. And so Zoe said, I, I want to go on that with Nora. And we said, okay, well, we'll meet you on the other side. So I started walking with the others to the other side and they went up to get on the ride. Well, I get a call about five minutes later from Nora frantic saying, she's not tall enough to go on the ride. So I say, okay. So we turn around and we start walking back and they're fran- both of them, Nora and Zoe are frantically looking for me. And Nora said, she wouldn't hold my hand. And Zoe was obviously frantic that she was up in line to go on this ride and then couldn't go on it. And then had a moment of, oh no, where's my mom? Mm-hmm. So they both were sort of frantic to find me. And I thought it was, you know, an interesting moment of there's just not real confusion over who she feels like her mom is. Mm-hmm. She obviously feels or understands there's some connections with Nora. You know, she's like, I want to be 
I want you to go on the rides with me. But when something scary happens, she wants her mom. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Nora wasn't trying to be her mom. She wasn't like, I'll make her feel okay. She was like, I better get her mom over here (laughs) because this kid is freaking out. So it just, I feel like, I mean, much, a lot of credit to Nora in that she has never tried to be her mom. She very freely and completely gave that role to me. And so there's never confusion about who Zoe's mom is. Mm. So the last trimester was when I was connected to Nora. She was in California and I visited her frequently and brought her to doctor's appointments. And so we were sitting in the apartment complex where she was staying and talking to someone and who she knew from living there. And the person asked who I was. And Nora said, oh, she's the mom. So Nora was sitting there pregnant, like eight months pregnant. Mm. And she said, oh, she's the mom. Oh, nice. And the guy sort of looked at her like, Mm -hmm. But then he said, okay, I don't know what you're talking about. But it just was a total reflection of how she thought about it. She's like, I've got a baby in here, but she's the baby's mom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we always had a lovely relationship. And she taught me a lot about how to think about this and navigate this. So the idea of I would be worried about having her be allowed into Zoe's life is just turned out not to be an issue at all. Mm. It's so nice to hear because I think it is a relatively new model to have open adoptions. And I think it's, you know, it is a really, it's the modern family and it's just nice to hear it working out nicely. And it's just a great thing for people to know. Well, I think it's also related to the historical fear and shame around adoption, which is partially fueled by how we handled adoption historically. You know, decades ago, it was literally sometimes stealing children from poor families and giving them to rich families. So that is horrifying. And if the feeling is, oh, you're not a good enough mother, we'll give you to one who is a good enough one. That's a terrible metaphor. That's a terrible story to tell. But in 2019, when things go well, you know, it's really about, you know, providing relationships and creating a family, which is about packing lunch in the morning and kissing boo-boos and, you know, cradling your kid when they're sick. But also including everyone, anybody who wants to love my daughter is welcome. I'm not going to, I'm not going to draw lines and say, oh no, I don't want you to have a relationship, a loving relationship with her because I'm the mom, you're not the mom. I mean... The more people who want to, you know, support her and love her, whether it's her biological mom or her nanny or her grandmother, or her aunt or my friend, they're welcome. I'm a big believer in, in expanding that circle and also the importance certainly of expanding that circle as a single parent. I mean, the more mm-hmm. people in your village for all of us, the better. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's the most surprising thing do you think about how your path turned out? I guess that part of it. I mean, I guess the part of having a family that includes a half biological brother in Ireland and, you know, a a biological mom in California. And I also happen to have older half siblings and that our family structure sort of morphs and that it's excellent. It's not certainly not when I thought in the back of my head, oh, I know what I'll do, what everyone does. You get married and you have two kids and that's your family. Well, now when Zoe's asked to draw her family, she just drew it the other day. And so she drew a picture of me, the dog, her, her youngest cousins, Nora, her biological half-sister, my parents, and then her half-brother in Ireland and their parents. You know, that's now, she's like, wait, I need more room because she has six other nieces and she has six other cousins and aunts and uncles. So mm. I guess that's the, the most fun part. Mm-hmm. I don't know about surprising, but the most fun part is that you can put anyone on that tree. And I prefer it not to be a tree. You, I, I, I like the idea of a family constellation. You can make that constellation however you like and put the people who you're closest to, whether they're biologically related to you or not. Yeah, that's so lovely. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit more about how you language with Zoe about her story? 
Sure. So this is something I recommend if you, I mean, I think it works for donor conceived babies as well, but for adoption, especially I create, I wrote a book, like a little snapfish book that had a bunch of photos. So I do recommend if you're adopting and have the opportunity to take photos of her, of your child's biological relatives to do that, because it's really nice to have those as a reference point. Um, so I wrote a little snapfish book about that she sort of renamed the mommy book. I initially wrote the story and wrote about looking for my prints and blah, blah, blah. And then I had a friend who said, why are you even doing that part? Why are you even talking about that? And I thought, yeah, why am I talking about that? I'm just going to talk about the, you know, sort of getting my baby part. So the story shifted into talking about how I sort of decided that I was that I wanted to be a mom. And then the process of finding the birth mom, which was more about and then I found her. So it wasn't a long drawn out story for a five year old. And then I put pictures of Nora in the book, Pregnant, and talked about how we became friends and talked about how she was born and then she came home with me. So initially, when she was younger and I talked about how she was inside Nora, but I'm her mom. Over time, as she got older, um, we needed to have a deeper conversation. And I also needed to start to give language to her biological half-sister and her biological half-brother. And so I wrote another book that I call The Family Tree Book that describes her family tree that's, that's my family and then her other family tree. And that was actually, I realized, the first time I used the term biological mom because she had always understood that she had been inside Nora, but I was her mom, but I'd never used the term. So I said, she, that makes her your biological mom. And she looked at me and said, I have two moms? And I said, well, and she said, no. I said, well, I don't have strong opinions about how you, you know, work that out, but I want you to understand the term biological mom. And then the way I talk about it with her is I say that I'm her real mom, because that's just a term that kids use or people uses and the world uses. And so, you know, she's on a playground and someone wants to make a comment. This never happened, but about I'm not her real mom. I want her to be able to say, I have a biological mom, but that's my real mom. So that she doesn't have to feel, I don't want her to feel badly at all or to feel confused. So I like using the term biological because it's accurate <laughs> and because it also helps with her biological sibling. She's likely going to be much closer to her cousins than her biological sibling. So I, I tend to use the adjective biological for them because if she talks about a brother that no one's ever seen or met, that could be confusing. And because over time, you know, that, that means something different to kids who grow up with their siblings. So it, it hasn't, with her, it hasn't come up a lot. She, at the moment, at six, at almost seven, is not asking a lot of questions about it. She just thinks this is how life is. And I have a biological half-brother in Ireland who I don't think about a whole lot, but he's there. And I see videos of him every once in a while. Speaking mm -hmm. of not thinking about it very much, our neighbors had a, a new baby. So I said, oh, hey, our neighbors have a new baby. And she said, oh, who was he inside? <laughs> he was inside the neighbor and came out and stayed with the neighbor. She said, oh, okay. So I thought, oh, that's kind of a win. I wonder how that conversation would go outside of this house. But so she, at the moment, thinks that this is normal and fine. That's wonderful. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about what the bonding to your child was like in the very, very beginning and any thoughts you have on sort of the genetic relationship between you and your child and whether that's altered anything? Yeah. So I obviously can't speak to what it's like to gestate a baby and how you feel about that. I sort of likened it to being the dad, you know, I was well rested. My body was in fine condition when my baby was born. And, you know, the minute that I had planned for her to be mine and the minute that I took her, she was mine. And so to me, there was no, who is this being? It was, of course, this is my baby. I will say that my experience and perspective has been that with her, it, it's not very different from developing relationships with 
other adults and that the more I get to know her and the more we are together and the more, you know, we take care of each other, the more bonded to her I feel. So I have never felt that most bonded I felt was it with her was at birth, but rather that as we go through this life together, we're even more connected. So I think also because adoption just makes a lot of sense to me, I never worried about that or questioned that piece, like would I feel bonded, which may be related to the fact that I grew up in a family with half siblings. So my dad was married before he married my mom and had three children. And I didn't grow up with them, but we are all one family, one big Brady Bunch. (laughs) And I see that the way we are connected is through the decisions we've made. We make decisions to be together for the holidays. We make decisions to go on regular family trips. We make decisions to be bonded all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's really what connects us more than biology. Because I know people who have siblings who they see once a year, maybe, and they only live a couple of hours away. Mm -hmm. So to me, bonding is about making a decision to be there. And so I certainly emotionally was in love with her when I met her, but that's really where the bonding comes from. And then, you know, people see what they want to see. They're like, oh, she looks just like you. And we also, people don't know that she's adopted. So we don't have that extra layer that that some adoptive families do where it's clear you're not genetically related. Mm -hmm. I think people see what they want to see. But my daughter's gorgeous, so I take it as a compliment. (laughs) And I can say that because it wasn't for me. (laughs) That is for sure. But yeah, so I think the bonding piece and the genetic piece, I personally think part of that has been mythologized. That sort of the idea that it is biology that connects you. Well, in most cases, that's start of it. But certainly being there and all the stuff that comes after is critical. And when that's a given, then you might not think about the difference between a genetic connection and a nurturing connection. Mm -hmm. But when you lose one of those, you start to see how much of each nurturing versus biology really adds to, you know, bonding in in a relationship. Mm, That is so beautiful. I love that. I've never quite thought of it that way. And that's such a cool way of thinking of it and explaining it. I think that's wonderful. In hindsight, would you do anything differently in your life or in your path knowing what you know now? Well, I mean, the the sort of nitty gritty adoption piece, I would have saved myself a little money and jumped over some of the agency part and gone right to the private attorney of all things being equal, you know, because it is an expensive process. I think one thing I really would have done was document more of the process of getting to know Zoe's birth mom and those sort of first months and year. There's just a lot of evolution there, particularly when it's through adoption and sort of details about the experience and pictures and thoughts because it's just an amazing growth to go Mm -hmm. from starting out with the fear of, I just want to be a mom. What do you mean open relationship to, oh, this makes so much sense. And I'm totally comfortable with the fact that I am her mother, but she has a biological connection. And let's just leave that all open and available so that when my daughter's ready, she can have the relationship she wants. So in the beginning, it just, you go through these, I feel like tons of epiphanies Mm -hmm. that you just can't go through without doing it. It's Mm -hmm. hard to go through anyway without doing it. It's hard to go through sitting in an agency worrying about, you know, adopting a baby on your own and thinking about all these other things. And then they just sort of start to click into place when you're with your baby and you know that she's yours and you want her to be loved by as many people as you can find. So that part, I wish I sort of documented how that unfolded because now it feels so obvious to me that I forgot how I got here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. From a different perspective of using an egg donor, it was, you know, initially that like, absolutely not, I will not do this to like, why did I care about this for a year? Right. And like cry so many times about this. Because, yeah, it feels like such a non-issue now. And you don't necessarily see the evolution happening. Yeah. And I would say the same thing about becoming a single mom on your own, you know, intentionally period, Mm -hmm. is that you sort of think it's this insane thing. And who does this? 
And then you look around and you go, I don't know that I have it so much harder sometimes than other couples I see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see them worrying about the same things I'm worried about and sometimes worrying about things I'm not worrying about. I always say, you know, bedtime is bedtime. Like there is no appeals process. (laughs) Mom's way is the way we do it, (laughs) which is sometimes handy because, you know, you don't have to negotiate that other layer of it. So there are several silver linings that I think you don't realize ahead of time because you're so bogged down in the societal view of this is how you have to do it. And if you don't do it this way, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And then when you get in it, you go, oh, well, at least I go, this doesn't feel so wrong or so different. There are moments that are harder, but there are plenty of moments that are not harder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to someone if they were at that precipice of deciding whether or not to be a single mom? Every time I've spoken to someone who's considering it, I say, do it. (laughs) I always say, do it. And don't think too much. That's the other thing. Because if you made this decision rationally, of course you wouldn't make this decision. It is crazy. But aren't all awesome things crazy? So I think that you certainly have to look at your own life circumstances. And there are considerations about whether this will, you know, work for the kind of person you are and the life you're living and, you know, what what you can do. But if you're far enough down the road that there's a decent chance you can make this work and you want it, I just say do it because if you don't jump off the cliff, there's just a million reasons not to jump off the cliff. But Mm -hmm. doing it is going to be one of the hardest and greatest things you've ever done. And, you know, I've sort of tried to make decisions based on if I'm on my deathbed, how much will I regret not doing this? Mm-hmm. And that is what they say is that people tend to regret what they didn't do, not what they did do. So I'm a cheerleader all the way, every time. Awesome. And what advice would you give to someone as a single mom or she's decided to be a single mom and she's debating adoption? I, you know, I'm a firm believer in adoption. There's just, there's, there's so many good aspects to it. It's an interesting, lovely, crazy journey. I think that there's also a lot of different ways to go about it. I adopt privately, but have since learned a lot about adopting from foster care. And depending on where you are, there are a lot of organizations that can help you with that. That is not only typically free, but here in Illinois, they provide stipends for children even after they've been adopted. They can get support, financial support for going to state schools. So if you're looking at adoption, do your research. Figure out what's the right fit for you. You know, agencies are a great place to stop, start. In Illinois, we have an organization called Let It Be Us that um, talks about how to adopt from foster care. They can help you with that. Um, and then certainly private attorneys. David Radis, I used in California. And like I said, I had a great experience with him. So There's a lot of places where you can get some initial information and really feel out what might be the best way for you to go and and, and what you can afford. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And in what ways has being a mother been different than you expected? Well, I think what makes it hard is, at least for me, is not necessarily the, I mean, there's the constancy of the need. There's so much to do and the never stopping piece of it. But I'm a pretty constant moving person. And so that hasn't been as overwhelming as how much she reflects back at me who I am in ways that I may not recognize or in ways that I'm not trying to be that way. So, you know, she is like a mirror. You know, when I'm having a bad mood, she's having a bad mood. And when I have bad habits, she has bad habits. <laughs> that I think has been one of the harder things where I go, don't do that. And she's going, wait, but I'm watching you do that. And I'm like, yeah, but I shouldn't. So <laughs> you don't do that. And so how do we get out of this hamster wheel, particularly when there's just two of us, you know, like sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like we're ping ponging back between each other, whatever bad mood we're in. And I'm like, someone's got to stop this. Mm-hmm. So that connection is both amazing and tricky. Mm -hmm. I have been known to FaceTime my sister or my mom and say, okay, you need to talk to her. Someone's got to talk to her because we're ping-ponging and I need somebody to Mm -hmm. break up this whatever 
family dynamic we have going on. But at the same time, we're so close and so connected that, you know, I think there are times where we also help each other. It's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. It's lovely. It was pretty intense. Awesome. My son and I, speaking of like being a mirror to each other, he woke up, it was his birthday this morning. And I think he just had a lot of expectations and he woke up in just the most foul, like ungrateful mood. And I was getting mad. And then I finally just stopped and said, should we go back to bed and do a do-over and start this day (laughs) over? And he was like, yeah, let's do that. So we got in bed and pretended that we were waking up for the first time. We had a whole different morning. (laughs) It was awesome. Oh, we press the reset button frequently. We are frequently, I say, and she'll say, I don't want our morning to be this way. And I'm like, let's take a breath and let's just reset. Let's just Mm -hmm. ignore what we just did. Because that Mm -hmm. was, yes, we do that all the time. Yeah, that's a good one. So what do you like least about being a mom? I, sometimes on my not as stellar parenting days, feel like I need to punch out. Like I just, Mm. I need to punch out, you know, I need to be like, okay, I'm done now. My daughter's a, a, you know, night owl. So she'd be happy to stay up late. And sometimes I'm just like, okay, at 830, I'm just kind of going to be done. So Mm -hmm. I hope you're in bed Um, because I gotta, I gotta be done here. So that I can feel myself sort of like hitting a wall and, you know, I, I try not to beat myself up about like, be better, you know, don't do that to her because I am a human person and Mm -hmm. it's hard to never hit a wall. So Mm -hmm. I think that's probably, you know, one of the the harder parts in the moments where I'm like, okay, I'd like to punch out or the like, could someone else do the bedtime routine tonight? Mm -hmm. Every once in a while. But for the most part, I feel like you get it. I get in a groove. And so, you know, you just keep chugging along. But every once in a while, I'd like to punch out a little early. Yeah. yeah. And what do you love the most about being a mother? I mean, I shouldn't say my best friend because I'm very wary of making your child be your friend. But she is, you know, the light in my day for sure. I mean, I, I you know, get frustrated and getting her off to school and we're stressed and we're rushing and barely making it on time every day. And then usually about an hour and a half later, I think, doing. <laughs> I think, you know, you just, especially when it is the two of you, you sort of have, the, you're your person, you know, you're sort of, mm-hmm. you're each other's person because every day we're going through our routines together and, you know, and you start, as they get older, you start having inside jokes and things we like to do and Friday is movie night and it's fun, you know, it's mm-hmm. fun and both of you look forward to it and then they develop their little personalities and it's really just what I'd hope for. Mm, awesome. Any other advice you would like to give to anyone before we close up? I think just, you know, when you're thinking about becoming a single mom in any way, intentionally or adoption specifically, to do your best to shed the societal expectations that it's supposed to be a heterosexual marriage with 2.5 children and that that somehow has some shine to it or that somehow that life is, you know, glossy and, and white but that when it comes down to it, we're all creating families in different ways. And even the ones that are, you know, two parents, two kids have different ways of operating. And so really thinking hard about the way you create your family is going to be wonderful however you do it versus worrying about getting it wrong. I sort of joke that I did it all wrong, but now I do that with a smile on my face because Again, when I look around to my friends and and people I know and their families, none of them are some sort of standard that we're trying to live up to. It's everybody's sort of making a family that's doing their best to be happy and healthy, and that comes in a lot of different forms. So to the extent you can shed that perception, it's really going to open you up to, you know, getting you to a place that you want to be if motherhood is where you want to go. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciated hearing all the details and getting your perspective on adoption because I think it's something we don't get to hear about as much. So it was really wonderful chatting with you. Great. It was great being here. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's show. Before we go, I wanted to just give you some more details about my tribe membership because the pricing will be changing soon. So right now I'm recruiting for my tribe signature level support groups. 
I have three groups, a pregnant and solo, a thinker's triers, and an egg donor support group. So what do you get in a tribe signature level support group? So first of all, you get weekly video support group calls with all of the women in your group. And there's no more of a maximum of 10 women in any of those groups. And we meet on Zoom and it's an hour to an hour and a half long. We talk about what's up for you and dive into a topic that feels of interest to everyone. It's really a way to be seen in your journey, process through all the emotional ups and downs, and get some practical advice. I think listening to other women who are at different stages than you is invaluable to get information and shortcut the process of getting pregnant by just hearing how it's going for everyone else. You also get a private classroom with those women on my community forum so that you guys can have private conversations about what's going on with you guys. And you get access to all my content. So I have a ton of content that I've created with worksheets, a lot of done for you research, a lot of self-study on the emotional aspects of this journey that you can read through and reflect. And finally, you get to be on my broader community forum with all the women in all the groups. So the price for that right now is only $59 a month, but it's going to be going up on April 30th. So if you want to be a founding member and get the founding member pricing, please go to my website, motherhoodreimagined.com and follow the link to the membership site and sign up. You can use the coupon code founder monthly, which is with a capital F or founder six. And that's with a lowercase F that will give you the discount. Those two different codes are for whether you decide you want to pay monthly or whether you want to pay for six months at a time and get an even lower rate. And I created a video in my Facebook group of the membership platform so you can see all the content and see what it would look like to join and get a sense of everything that's included. So I hope you'll join me and please feel free to reach out to me anytime with questions. We can jump on a call if you'd like or you can shoot me an email at Sarah at Motherhood Reimagined and we can talk about whether or not it's a good fit for you. And finally, if a group doesn't sound like what you want, you can work with me as a Tribe VIP member. That's private coaching with me. You get six 30-minute calls per month and unlimited voicemail access to me, as well as all my content on my Tribe membership and the community forum. So you can sign up for that on my website as well. That link is just going live now. It's a new program, so don't miss your chance. I'll only be taking a handful of people. I'm also still looking for more guests, so please head on over to my webpage and sign up to be a guest if you're interested. Or if you're an expert and you'd like to talk to us, we'd love to hear from you. Or if you have any suggestions about people I should interview, please pop on over to my Facebook group or shoot me an email at sarah at motherhoodreimagined.com. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to being with you next week. Take care.